And good morning. Welcome. This is Eric Rollins, the Constitutionalist, here on 1550 KXEX, the best talk in town. I know I normally start with calendar, but we're going to jump in in a different way. Um, It's going to be a very different show, and I think it's going to be fun. I convinced my guest, Gabriel, to come in. He was nice enough to bring his dad, who happens to be running for Congress. So, Gabriel, have you ever been on the radio before? No, I have not. You have not? Mm-mm. So this is a first. So is this the launch of your radio career? Maybe. I hope so. I've always wanted to be on the radio. Well, here we go. Yeah. So why'd you bring your dad? Well, I think it's better to say he brought me. You're not in charge? <laughs> no. No? Not yet? Not yet. Okay. Thank you. So what's your dad running for? He is running for Congress, and he is going up against Jim Costa. The dreaded Jim Costa. (laughs) So why is he better than Jim Costa? Well, although Jim has more experience, I think Dad is a better fit for the seat. Um, Although he does not have as much experience, he will be a good well, I'm going to have to push back on that, son. Uh, he might have more years in office as a politician, but as far as experience goes, uh, I think my experience actually being a business owner, actually serving in the military, working in law enforcement, and being a national security professional uh, far outweighs the time he spent being a politician. So why would that be important? Well, that... He knows a lot of stuff about laws. and So experience kind of can be your guide, right? Right. So every year you're in school, you have a little more experience. That's kind of the things you learned in school are kind of your guide. Well, after that, you get a job. Yeah. Your dad's actually worn a bunch of different hats, or I, I say hats, but had a bunch of different jobs. Yeah, that is right. So that would help why? Because he'll know how to do all those different things. Like, we know he was in the Navy, so he knows how to do stuff in the Navy. We know he's from the F- he used to be in the FBI, so he knows stuff from the FBI, construction, <clears throat> and a bunch of other things. Well, that's pretty cool. Well, welcome. And, and, uh, and I also know how to be a husband, <laughs> which is a big thing, and a father, and a member of our church. The things that actually ground and root uh, who I am and why I'm happy to have you here with me today. Or I'm happy to be here with you on the Eric show. (laughs) (laughs) So why did you decide to jump in? The decision to jump in is actually based a lot on uh, my faith, which I just uh, alluded to. I've been asked to run for office before and I've shared about this, uh, but... My time in the military, my time in uh, federal law enforcement and with the government, and then moving into the private sector, I thought that's my service has has done uh, and drawn its course, and I'll be a uh, focused on business and raising my family. And the world went down. And if everyone remembers just a short time ago, the lockdowns and the craziness of what this administration's done and continues to do, mm-hmm. uh, and the party that that supports this administration, uh, it's time. And I have friends and business colleagues. And when Devin Nunes resigned uh, from his, his position, it's not something that I thought I would uh, see. 
And that changed a lot for me. Uh, and it changed a lot for our Valley. He is going to stand up and actually represent our district and our people. And when it came down to it, uh, I was asked and I said I would. And I'm, I'm happy to be here and I'm happy to be the nominee uh, that's gone through the primaries to be where we are, uh, to be the local guy who's grown up here and, and represent you know, the entire Valley on the things that actually matter, our energy independence, mm-hmm. our actual security, our, our farming. Uh, his, his mom, their side of the family, has been farming for generations here in the Central Valley. And it's uh, vitally important that we have people with experience and actually a connection here, uh, not just land managers. Um, so, Gabriel, you were, I hear you were homeschooled. Were you in regular school before that? Yes, I was. I went to Emanuel Elementaries in Reedley, California, and I liked it. I liked it a lot. All my friends were there. And then COVID happened, and then we decided to go go and do homeschool, which, and we used the homeschool group, Abeka, which my dad did when he was from grade school all the way to high school. He was doing Abeka. And so we did that. First few days, I didn't really like it. By the end of the fourth grade school year, I liked it a lot. And then, so I know there's not the social part, but which one did you learn better at? Did you learn more at homeschool or more at Emmanuel? Homeschool. Okay. Why? I think because, well, since I would be at a certain place. And I knew once I get this done, I can uh, do something. So I focused and studied hard so I can get it done. And I ended up getting done around 11.30 every day and me starting at maybe 9 in the morning. See, I I thought that was going to be the case. Motivated kids can actually get done with schoolwork in less time and have more time to play. That doesn't mean you don't have to work, but you have to take it and give it your best when you do it. Yeah. At a national level and our state level, it seems to me that with schooling, they want to control. Yes. They want to tell you what to do and that there's a lot of unnecessary stuff. Is there anything you can do in Congress about that? Well, that's one of the things I I would love to do in Congress and I hope to have is uh, school choice. The amount of money that we pay in our education system, how much money we are taxed. Uh, and then actually doesn't make its way into the school, into the classroom for the students when parents are still asked to bring p- pencils and paper. Uh, it's it's incredible. And when you have underperforming schools, uh, people are constantly looking for private school options, mm-hmm. especially when there is radical things being taught in the schools, and it's more of an indoctrination than it actually is an education. And there are some good public schools out there, and, and it's this is not a critique on the teacher's this is not a critique on the people. This is a critique on the institution itself that's been really hijacked. Yeah, the system. And if you allow school choice so the parents can actually decide where their kids are going to go, if the public school system is great, we'll send our kid to that school. If the private school system is doing well, now there's actually accountability. There's responsibility. And it actually brings it back more to the local level, uh, not to a bureaucratic uh, institution at Sacramento uh, or at the federal level. Well, there's no incentive to strive for excellence. There's no competition with public schools. That's the problem. 
and or, and there's so much administrative burdens and yeah. that's what's absolutely incredible is uh how much money goes to so many other positions that are not actually directly related to the education of the, of the student in the classroom in Virginia, where when Glenn Youngkin got elected, it was all about parental ch- parental rights and school choice. I think that is one of the big things. I just saw two different surveys or polls put out by very liberal groups, one of them by the Teachers Association, where the Republicans were more trusted than the Democrats by about three points. They usually lose by about ten. That's a seismic shift. So I'm really hopeful that school choice can happen so that, you know, not every parent can can homeschool, but every parent, if the money would follow the child, could send them to the best possible school. It's absolutely incredible. If it did follow the student, what private schools are actually, look at Emanuel's tuition, what they actually charge per student, and they're able to provide an excellent quality education Better than most all the surrounding school districts. At, at far less than what they would be getting if they were a public institution per child. And so that's what's encouraging is we need more education. We need smaller classroom sizes. We need more teachers getting involved. And if you allow something like this to happen, you create competition. You're going to create a thriving environment. And then you'll have uh, some national standards of you need to be able to read. You need to be able to write. We need to have an educated society who understands uh the history of this nation, what makes us so unique and special, and also how you can participate uh, in the workforce. So make them accountable. Expect Have expectations because I think there is a tyranny of low expectations. I use that a lot, meaning because you don't expect anything of somebody, particularly this has to do with people on government assistance, and I think they're fully capable of doing better in almost all cases. Um, you have this cycle of where they sit on their butts because they're not expected to do better. The states that require more of a work or education or something tend to do better. California has essentially half the welfare recipients and a third of the homeless. Do I have those two backwards? No, I think that's right. Um, and that's a, that's a scary thought. We're not accountable here. I'm going to shift to something a little more fun for just a moment. There's a place where our president was on a bike ride and fell. That place has been named Brandon Falls. I found it kind of hilarious. And now people are making a trip to Brandon Falls and they're reenacting what happened. Is that fair? Is it funny? Is it not funny? Not really fair. I mean, I would not like people going out and reenacting if I fell off my bike, but um, I do think it's funny. Okay. Well, that's a fair answer. Yeah. Another big problem is what's happening with inflation, and our current administration has claimed that it's all Russia. But if we look at the numbers, a huge portion of that happened before Russia. And a huge portion of the gas prices, which I think is the biggest driver of inflation, because if they're up, everything costs more. Is there anything we can do about that in Congress? Oh, absolutely. There's there's something that we can do in Congress. And that's the, the great thing about this midterm election, 
this this 22 election is setting a a message to the administration and to the world. The world pays attention to what goes on uh, here in the United States and re- bringing back a Republican majority that's is in control of the purse who can actually start censoring and can actually start putting the brakes on some of these things also telegraphs where our position is going to be and that sets up for the 2024 presidential election cycle um, but for people to say well it doesn't markets don't move that fast as soon as Keystone pipeline was was shut down by this administration immediately the market responds yep and who knows about market response Nancy Pelosi and her husband look exactly what they're doing on their investments right before key votes because they understand how the market moves right after government decisions. And so I think that's called insider trading. Uh, that is insider trading uh, by definition. I don't know the particulars of their, of their situation. I'm just uh, sharing what I, I've been reading online. Um, if he's not in a blind trust and legislation is coming before his wife and he has any information earlier than anybody else, that's insider trading. And with a different speaker there should be consequences. Now, I said if, yeah. but but it sure looks like it because he immediately has made multiple stock purchases just a little earlier than everybody else. Hmm. And, and that's the crazy thing about how many people have made their career, their life out of politics. And that's one of the things going up against Jim Costa. Well, he's moderate. You know, he's, he's, he's been around for so long. His votes have been lockstep in line with Nancy Pelosi. And that's the issue here. We have to start looking at the person who's in office. You're, you're spending from college involved in campaigns to your entire life being in politics and, and not understanding what it is to actually work a job, be dependent on that paycheck, or even being the businessman who's signing the, the, the front of the paycheck and having to make sure that their employees are getting paid before even you get paid. Right. He only signs the back of a paycheck. And it's the money from us, the taxpayers. Mm-hmm. And, and that is across the board. And, and the amount of people, Pelosi uh, particularly, look at the Biden family, how much money and wealth has been accumulated by public servants. Mm-hmm. And, and this is something that America is waking up to and, and just said, we've had enough. And that's a largely uh, a number one uh, uh issue of, of what we need to be standing up against i think corruption is is high on my list when you look at surveys it's not as high as i'd like but and regardless of party if you're corrupt i think you need to go 100 percent. if you're a career politician i think you need to go shifting a little bit in your household what's the number one issue well i mean what kind of issues do you want to talk about? Okay. When you guys are sitting at the dinner table, what's the thing that always comes up? Maybe something besides fighting with your brother. <laughs> um, we usually go. We're just eating, then we usually go. How's work? How's the day? Okay. So it's family issues. You're like checking in with each other. Yeah. So that's an important thing. Why, why would that matter that you always check in with each other? Well, kind of want to know what everybody did. Mm-hmm. Want to know if I missed out on something. Okay, so you're connected with them. You're also making sure they're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. 
or you want to know if they're not doing the right thing, even though they probably want to hide it, right? Yeah. Okay, so that's kind of a big deal. And it's a, it's a pleasure, actually. And one of the reasons why I left the FBI, uh, as I shared before, the last three years, and when Gabriel was younger, uh, I was averaging 50 to 52 days a year with my family. And that's not a way to, to be a father or be a husband. And my priorities, uh, as we start our meals, is with prayer where my faith is God then family and then, then everything else. And so being able to have these times now as he's getting older and just be able to have family conversations around the dinner table, uh, regardless of what's going on, or even this morning making them breakfast or uh, not being here together. It's family's in a very important thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. With crime, what can we do? Because we're faced with, and I know you can't change what's going on in the state, but we've got criminals unaccountable, and that model is trying to be shared in all 50 states. In Congress, what can you do about crime? Speak the truth on all these things, and it really does start around at the family level and making changes and holding your local leaders accountable. Uh, and then getting on to the federal level is making sure that we are supporting our law enforcement, protecting our law enforcement. Qualified immunity, they're talking about trying to remove that. Uh, for for here in the state, and go ahead and define that. Make your point, but we we, we want to define qualified immunity. So qualified immunity. If I am as as a law enforcement professional, if I was uh, a local police officer, I'm engaged in an altercation or an action that's brought brought about because of my profession. I'm qualified. I have immunity from prosecution on certain matters directly relating to my job. Uh, and if you eliminate that. Uh, say that there's a wrongful sh- wrongful shooting. It's, it, I didn't go into this profession so I can go out and, and murder people. I went out because I wanted to protect and serve and, and support my community. That's why there's so much training. If you're immediately able to be prosecuted every single time, it would just create, it would, it would halt our justice system. It would halt our enforcement because who would want to be a law enforcement officer? If I knew every time, and, and this is, officers already have to think about this. If I draw my weapon, I'm going to get sued Mm -hmm. and it's going to put not only myself, my family, it means administrative leave. That's not what any officer should be thinking about in any one of those situations. It has to be focused on what are we doing to ensure the imminent threat is, is ended and our public is safe. Uh, And when you eliminate qualified immunity, uh, it sounds, it might sound good in a a two second soundbite, but it is, devastating and horrific well there is already consequences with qualified immunity if if an officer is wrong for instance absolutely somebody your age is playing with a cap gun that looks like a real gun and they pointed at an officer and the officer shoots this is why you got to be careful playing with guns um there would be consequences for that officer but the consequences would be much more dramatic if that officer didn't have qualified immunity. They have to believe they're right. There's consequences if they're wrong, but without qualified immunity, it wouldn't matter. It'd be just like a private citizen did it, and you are liable for everything. And and that's how it works uh, with law enforcement uh, associations, uh, police officer associations, even at the federal level. uh, As an agent, we would get, uh, if, if you were involved in a shooting, your association, the insurance that defends you, immediately kicks in once the your agency says that was a good shoot or you were following procedures they immediately come in 
and, and, and defend you. And even having to have those steps where you're in limbo for a time of, I wonder if my department's actually going to back me up because I did exactly what I wanted to do or what was required of me, what I was trained to do, uh, what they want me to do. Uh, it's, it's, uh, imperative that we keep these associations around and we keep, uh, good, good men and women out there, uh, protecting us. We're going to go ahead and take a break. This is Eric Rollins, the Constitutionalist, here on 1550 KXEX, the best talk in town. This is Eric Rollins, the Constitutionalist, here on 1550 KXEX, the best talk in town. Today, I am joined by Gabriel Marr, and he was nice enough to bring his dad down. And we're having a discussion about his dad getting family permission to run for Congress. And I know you had couple notes so what is it you want to say well um kind of wanted to tell a funny story about my dad oh boy make a few people (laughs) laugh so um me and my mom thought hard about what we can uh do this was my suggestion by the way okay (laughs) yeah we were and you and mom so i get to talk with mom about this also Me, mom, and him were all in on this. I didn't help plan it. I just said, is there a funny story? Yeah. There's a million funny stories, but I'm, I can't wait to hear what you have. We picked out one. So, we're at our friends, the Hofers. They have a pool. And so, we're having a pool party, and all the kids are doing dives into a really tiny pool ring. Then Dad wanted to go. It dies in it. There's this huge splash. And when it clears, there's this popped pool ring. <laughs> so, you pop the pool ring that was in the pool. I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah. It, it was very, it was one of the child, you know, the inflatable blow up. Did uh, it stay stuck donuts. to him or did just. I forgot if it stuck to him or he went through. I think if I remember, I mean, it was, uh, it was small and I had put on a few pounds after I, <laughs> I left law enforcement. Uh, and I knew with my weight and speed and I would make it through, I think it ended up rupturing because it didn't, it got stuck on my shorts and I went to the bottom of the pool and I think the pressure at the bottom of the pool plus that it just popped <laughs> Uh, fortunately, it went up. Uh, it was taking my shorts up with it, and I ended up grabbing that. Getting myself situated, it floats up, and uh, it was destroyed. And, and the, the, what was funny is uh, uh, Darren's, uh, whose house it was, said, don't pop the thing. Don't pop the toy. I said, oh, don't worry. So... Thank you. That was... Uh, so that wasn't too bad. I, I'm thinking pool. There's a couple things. That, oh, yeah. Since we we mentioned pool, I'm going to segue into water, which is really a difficult thing. Um, yes. I get that it has to be both a state and federal solution, but on the federal end, how can you help with water? Because it is essential to our Central Valley. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually at a water board meeting uh, yesterday morning, uh, Water uh, the, the water blueprint uh, for California, and they're bringing together a bunch of coalitions of uh, GSAs and uh, other concerned uh, parties. And it's there's so many players you have to be able to bring and have a discussion uh, with everyone there. 
focusing specifically at the, the federal level, there's a lot that can be done because water is not just uh, sticking a straw in the delta and shooting it right into the Central Valley and then uh, everything's better. Uh, this is a problem that's been exacerbated by uh, failed politicians for 30 plus years. Uh, this is an aging infrastructure. This is our water going out of the valley to Southern California. And I can't be mad at Southern California. I can't be mad at uh, other people focusing on their jurisdiction. We've just had leaders who haven't had the political juice to get uh, what we need done here done. Uh, By the way, Jim Costa being one of those key players for years and years and has done zero on water. In his his defense, he says he's gotten water and he has – and he's gotten water for Nancy Pelosi in San Francisco, not for our valley. Yeah. And and that is... Hoping you were going to go there and I didn't have to spell that one out. Yeah. I knew that one. No, it, that's an absolute fact. And growing up here and seeing it, um, he's not a friend of the farmer. No. He's, he, he's a personal guy. I've met him. I'll shake his hand. But he's not what our valley needs and he's not what our country needs right now. And so federally, I did nuclear power production when I was in the Navy. And every time there's a natural disaster... And U.S. Navy aircraft carrier pulls up, beautiful fighter jets on top, two nuclear reactors, providing electricity for the, the damaged uh, infrastructure and churning seawater and turning it into fresh drinking water for, for those affected. That is desalinization. And there's desalinization. Oh, it doesn't work. It's, it's energy intensive. Nuclear power is the greenest energy in the world. Mm-hmm. It produces abundance of energy. We can do desalinization, and we can actually do it in a smart way, not where we just take the brine. Desalinization is basically boiling seawater, taking the steam, and reconstituting it just into nice, good drinking water, and you get a very high concentration of salt water left over. And if you take that salt water and shoot it back out into the ocean, you're going to kill all the sea life right around the floor of where the water gets discharged. Or, just like we make salt, you can discharge it into a a pond, let it settle, and uh, there's a new commodity. So there is absolutely so there's a way around that. There's ways around a lot of these things. Everyone acts like this is a hard stop. This is impossible. It's osmosis. It's desalinization. If Israel can do it, and now is an exporter of water, if the Middle East can do this, if everywhere around the world is able to do it, if France can operate with uh, an abundance of nuclear energy. Not just France. A whole lot of Europe with an abundance of small nuclear power plants that seem to be clean. I would point out that France is essentially run by at least socialists, yes, extremely liberal people. Why is it that my friends on the left and, and every are so single, afraid of nuclear? Every single U.S. Navy warship that is a submarine has a nuclear power plant on it. We have nuclear reactors operating on wartime assets. And we can't do it. We're not technically advanced enough to be able to build it here in the United States, right on our coast. We absolutely are, and it's a fallacy to push back on that. There's so many options on true sustainable energy and true renewable energy. And and even our traditional uh, fossil fuels here in California, we do it better down in Bakersfield than anywhere else in the world. Not just better, cleaner. Better, cleaner, uh, better labor standards better environmental standards, and that's the same thing for ag. We produce the best uh, and the highest quality fruits, vegetables, nuts, anywhere in the world right here, and we're trying to kill that industry. Not we. Radicals are trying to kill that industry. 
and we are absolutely dependent on this. This is our Central Valley is is where the shining city is. This is the actual epicenter for where I believe the red wave will start from the west coast and go all the way out to the eastern seaboard and where the economic prosperity is going to re- rebound right here in the Central Valley in ag, in energy, and it's going to be multiplied everywhere else as long as we get people to stand up. I'd say the other big place we can make a difference with water is fixing infrastructure. Uh, my understanding, the Friant Kern Canal um, has a major leak. I'm sure that there are major leaks in multiple places in our canals because we have not maintained our infrastructure. Or you look at Oroville Dam and how it had the yeah. big leak because we have not maintained. Even if we just had them work at peak efficiency, there's a big step. We need well, and that's where we can get into water storage uh, and, and money needs to be put back into maintaining our infrastructure. And this is the crazy thing: you're you're, you're having to pay money to your local uh, GSA. You're, I'm putting money into getting water, and I'm paying you every year, and you're going to give me a zero allocation back. It's it's not equitable, as everyone wants to talk about these days. Uh, it's not equal. It's not fair, and. Yes, but are those are those farmers um, minorities? And th- I, I, I jokingly say that it shouldn't matter. No, it shouldn't matter. But this is the the problem that we actually have uh, in that that argument. And this is one thing I've talked with a lot of the uh, uh, Latino ranchers. There's a, a, a Ranchers and Farmers Association that was started, and uh, I'm really good friends with one of the guys who's a labor contractor. Uh, what happened with a lot of uh, USDA-backed loans for minorities to be able to get into farms, uh, you're able to get into some of these properties. Now, maybe there's only one water source or no water source. It's, uh, you have uh, uh, some rights. You're now farming, and the, the biggest growth in farmers in the entire Central Valley is actually uh, the Hispanic community. So Latino ranchers are the, the fastest-growing uh, farm owners in the entire Central Valley, and they're the ones who are being impacted at a far greater rate than these massive conglomerates who can pay the extra money. Because they're small farmers. Because they're small farmers who are doing it, who believe in the American dream, who are fighting for their family and going out and doing that work. And that's really one of the things that fires me up. And those are the people that I want to represent. I want to represent everyone here. Everyone should have that equal access and equal opportunity uh, to this American dream. And when we see our money being wasted on a bullet train to nowhere— and we have failing infrastructure, it is dereliction of duty of our elected officials, uh, and it's it's uh, at the disadvantage of our taxpayers, and it, and it, it, it fires me up. <laughs> it's corrupt. So is he always this serious? You're not going to answer that? You're not going to get in trouble? <laughs> <laughs> it's good that he's passionate about things. When I'm passionate, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, quite yeah, all right. He's always uh he's always the serious about uh ninety five percent of the time. That's a pretty high percentage. Out of hundred and ten. Out of hundred and ten. Because <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't give a hundred percent, he gives more. Yeah. Okay. Well, that is a good example for you to always do your best. Mm-hmm. Wanted to go over a little bit of what the Supreme Court's done. Because they changed Roe Wade, now Biden wants Congress to write a law that says that that is the law of the land. 
I don't think he's going to succeed. And how much of that is an issue here in California? Nothing changed in California. But I I wanted people to hear where you stand on Roe because I think you you agree with me and you're pretty strong in that position. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that changes a lot too. And now this is the question that's going to be asked is no longer what's your opinion on Roe v. Wade. It's are you pro-life or not? Mm -hmm. Do you believe in the innocence of of human life? Uh, And this is a topic that we could do an entire... I mean, multiple shows on, and I, I would be happy to talk about that. Uh, I'm a pro-life person uh, and candidate, and I've always been. The interesting thing on, on uh, and it's something I'm very passionate about personally. I mean, there's, there's, the sanctity of life is rooted in so much of, of who we are as a nation and what makes, uh, and are we moral? It is the morality. And that gets into a, a lot of uh, the topics that we're, we're, we're discussing is without morality, without uh, where is the base of law? Where is the foundation? Uh, is it in paper or uh, a just and moral society? And that's a whole other topic. But back to mm-hmm. Roe v. Wade, I don't uh, want to get too far off. It's interesting because it's, the implications of Roe v. Wade are not, uh, it's not about abortion the the left is trying to hammer this huge issue on abortion it is a state's right issue what this did not only on the issue of abortion this this clarified so much on states rights and that's the amazing thing about this federalist system that we have this this constitutional republic with all of these different states it allows and it's pushing back decision making of the citizens in their their local communities so it goes back to the state the state is going to be able to make that decision some states have different laws we are not one one federal government that controls the entire united states if that was the case then why do we have states what's the well i think there's two different visions and i think our current president wants total control right texas wouldn't have it i don't think florida's having it and i think and a whole lot of other states if pushed would step up they would, and that's what this lockdown, what COVID did, uh, is demonstrating different styles of government all you know, mm-hmm. at the same time. It's been absolutely incredible to watch different styles of government, different styles of leadership, different styles of politics, and, and right before your eyes see conservative values and conservative leadership based in uh, local and, and actually the, the rights of the citizens that this country was founded on actually produces a better living environment, a healthier environment, and a more prosperous environment. And those who went the other way went completely into destruction, and they're begging for federal bailout money. They went into destruction, but they also decided that control was more, empower, more important and more valuable than freedom. And what they did was they said, well, if you give us this control, you'll be safe. Except it wasn't true. That was the big lie of COVID. And it's coming back with monkeypox. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wasn't that donkeypox? Donkeypox. <laughs> <laughs> the vote, vote Republican. That's the, that's the vaccine right there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the EPA made a big decision, or excuse me, 
on the there was a decision on on what the EPA was doing through the Supreme Court that basically said, look, there's not legislation on this. There's no legislation to guide what the EPA is doing. You're just trying to use the EPA Environmental Protection Agency to get what you want and that Congress has to actually speak on this. When you're in Congress, where will you stand with some of that? I think that's that is a, a, a also a really good ruling, and some of the things that the EPA was doing actually were were good, and some of the things that they were doing were absolutely horrendous. And uh, Congress is the one that is the body that is going to be able and should be and is statutorily required to make these decisions, and we have an out of control bureaucracy, and. The reason it's been able to become out of control is because we've had weak political leaders who don't want to make a decision or pass a law because they don't want to deal with the political consequences of it. Uh, And that's the problem with career politicians. If your whole life is every two years trying to get reelected and you've never held a real job, you're scared. If I'm not going to get reelected, what am I going to do? I'm going to start bullying people. Some people might already be calling people to try to bully them to, you know, change their support. And that's just a, a person who's, who's, who's scared, who wants to keep their job and doesn't care about the people they represent. And that's where in Congress you have to be able to make these decisions. It is not up for these regulatory bodies, these administrative actions to come in and say, you're going to give us this information or you're going to do this else. And it's not based in the law and there's so much pushback i think uh by our citizens on this and it, it needs to happen and congress needs to act and, and make rulings on these things so yes. businesses can function i mean all of this is a great framework uh, and it's designed so we can actually have commerce and and operate as a, a society well you're a family man and you will be accused because you're a republican of not wanting clean air and clean water you think your dad would let you drink dirty water? No, never. Right. Well, and I would push back on that. I'm actually more involved than Jim Costa has ever been on the, the sustainable movement in a responsible, logical manner, not at the expense of what we already talked about, well, fossil fuels and actually common sense. And that's the problem is everyone's looking for a political angle. I'm looking at common sense for our valley, common sense in dealing with these problems and everything I'm talking about energy, national security issues, our water. These are bipartisan issues. These have nothing to do with anything except protecting and representing our, our citizens and the people who live here, period. It's, it's across the board. There's no party in any of that. Uh, and if you you have an issue with those, then you're probably uh, not supportive of, of our country in the first place. And I'm not looking to represent you anyways. <laughs> We're going to go ahead and this is a good point for our last break. This is Eric Rollins, the Constitutionalist here on 1550 KXEX, the best talk in town. This is Eric Rollins, the Constitutionalist here on 1550 KXEX, the best talk in town. Today, I am joined by Gabriel Marr, and he brought his, his dad with him, who happens to be running for Congress. He thought that maybe this would be a good good spot for his dad to say a couple things, but you know, since it's your show today, what else? What other thing did you have in those notes? All right, this one uh, embarrassed dad as much. This is 
things I like to do when he's not on a computer here calling someone, doing work. These are the things I like to do. I like to go hunting, do taekwondo with him. Yeah, you just started that. Yeah, um, wear white belts. Cool. And, uh, yeah, I like it. And um, one of our favorite shows we like to watch is Beat Bobby Flay and uh, Iron Chef America. We both like those. And uh, another thing I like is just to drive around with them. So you like just kind of hanging out? Yeah. Probably less fun if he's on his phone while he's driving. <laughs> I'm hoping hands-free. Yeah, hands-free. <laughs> Always hands-free. Actually, he said Gabriel passed his hunter safety course and got his hunting license uh, and has actually gone on a couple of hunts with us. So did you get anything? Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. What were you hunting for? Dove was the first time, I believe, I shot a 20-gauge. I didn't hit the dove, but I did hit a few clay pigeons. Well, that's a start. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So what do you think about the Second Amendment? What's that have to do with guns? Anything? I think that we should have the freedom of guns like the Second Amendment in the Constitution says, and it is a good freedom i mean look at australia they took everybody's guns away i think we're lucky to be living in a country where we have the freedom to bear arms well they took everybody's guns away in australia and then the people that did not like the lockdowns that went out to protest all got locked up and in many cases i've seen many videos where the police literally beat them so Hmm. I don't think that happened here. No. How many amendments in the Constitution? 20? A few more than that. Five. 25? There's 25 that work, but there's actually 27. Because oh. they added, they got rid of the, the ability to have alcohol, and then they gave it back. So those kind of don't work anymore. It's like one canceled the other, so there's 27 amendments. What's your favorite amendment? The freedom of speech. I talk a lot. (laughs) And, yeah, I I realize I talk a lot, and it's something I need to work on. But I like that we have the freedom of speech. Cool. So what amendment is that? Is that the fifth one? The first. Okay, cool. (laughs) The first amendment. So why are you hopeful? Hopeful about what? Life. I'm hopeful because I have God to help me carry through life. And I have a family to support me. And I'm hopeful for life in that way. Cool. Anything else you want to say? (laughs) I'm going to turn it over to your dad. Well, I personally never thought he'd be doing this. The past year, someone came up to me and said, like last year, someone said, your dad's going to run for Congress against Jim Costa. I'd say, who's Jim Costa? And no way. (laughs) And no way, huh? No way. (laughs) But uh, I guess now he's doing it, and it's the reality, and we have to push on through that. So 
does complicate things, doesn't it? Yes. And I think that's all I have to say. I'm going to add one more thing. Can you give your dad's website? Do you know it? www.michaelmarforcongress.com or michaelmar.com. M-I-C-H-A-E-L and then M-A-H-E-R.com. michaelmar.com. Yeah. Now, if you were old enough, would you vote for him? Yeah. (laughs) Hesitated just a little too long. (laughs) So we're we're wrapping up. We're down to about five minutes. Um, Why are you hopeful? Anything else that you feel we need to cover today? Yeah, I I think my hope uh, in all of this is, uh, and I, I encourage other people listening, if your hope is in a political leader, you're going to be disappointed. If your hope is in uh, uh, the next new iPhone, or if your happiness is coming from that, you are going to be disappointed. Uh, you have to have a hope in something greater than that. Uh, for me, my hope is is in Christ. I'm a, a, a believer. That makes you part of a community. It, it does. And that's where... Uh, my strength comes from uh, and who I put my faith and it allows through so many times uh, throughout the military. I remember one time we were so really, really deep in a submarine underwater and I had this, uh, this feeling of God can't hear my prayers. And it was just this weird feeling. I was like, and I felt really devastated that I felt I was now too far away from God. And then I thought God created all of this. How silly this 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 mindset is but we can get into places of despair mm-hmm. because of what's going on around us the mission that we're on uh what we're what we're doing our circumstances the political climate our 401k but your your hope and your your satisfaction is not based on the, the number in your bank account uh it's not based on any of those things uh, it, it can affect uh the day and, and it, it can buy some things but actually, your hope is is uh, in something bigger than that. And I'm excited for our country, honestly. I'm excited for what I've seen on the campaign trail. Because for me to step out and run for office, uh, as, as Gabriel said, I wasn't planning on doing this at all. I was absolutely not planning on doing this, what, where my life and what I was working on, and I'm still working on because I was not planning on doing, uh, is uh, a testimony to that. But I have an absolute hope uh, because I've met so many people on this campaign trail that have have said, I'm not going to let the politicians continue to do this. I'm stepping up. I'm running for school board. Mm -hmm. Or I'm just going to start coaching a baseball team. I'm going to start getting involved at the school board. I'm going to get involved in something positive. Absolutely. I can do more than just working my job, watching, uh, you know, internet TV and, and, and being about my day. And I love that. I, I'm so encouraged by the people that are standing up and, and fighting for uh, for freedom and what this country's uh, built on. And I'm excited through the process. I'm a nobody who served and did some things, but that's not who uh, I should be defined as. It's great for, for a political resume. Oh, the guy was at Harvard and Oxford and this and that. I'm a guy here in the Valley who's fighting for my, my wife and my two sons and my neighbors and the other farmers saying, I'm not giving up on our Valley. I'm not giving up on our community. 
I'm not giving up on on the people here. I'm not going to pull up and go move to another state. Yeah. It would be easier for me to do that, and I have the ability here. to do that. But this is where uh, the, the trees have been planted. The, you, know, you can't move agriculture. We can't. We we not can sell the farms, but this is where we are, and this is what makes America a great country: is the people, is that hard work. And I'm encouraged because there's so many people standing up. And for this, I, I, first time running for office, I beat Jim Costa. I was the number one vote in Fertilary County. Mm-hmm. I was second right in Fresno County. That's a big deal. Spent, and, and we have a few minutes left. I need, I need donations. I need funds. Uh, that's something you can go to the website, michaelmar.com and click the big red button and donate. We did this on, on uh, a shoestring budget compared to what was spent. I think close to almost a million dollars on the other other side of the aisle. We can do this even going forward because when it comes down to it, it is the voter in the voting booth and the vote does matter. Everyone's vote matters and making sure your, your neighbors vote. That's the exciting part of this. Uh, there is hope. There is hope and there's all those points of light, but we actually have to get out and do our part. Well, we're basically done. Um, I thank you both for joining me today. I think this was an interesting show. This is Eric Rollins, the Constitutionalist, here on 1550 KXEX, the best talk in town. 